the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Setting time aside for prayer, and we should end every day with our thoughts on Him. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now, here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, and I entitled this message, Passing It On. I wonder how many of you are from a godly home, meaning you were raised by true Christian parents. Maybe some of you were, while others of you were not. Regardless of which one you're from, God desires to do a new and a fresh work in every one of our lives here today. Maybe for those raised in a Christian home, you watched your parents serve in the church. And because of that, you know that God has a purpose for you as well. In fact, I see many of the children of those here at Core Church being used by God in Core Church and being used and serving here. It's the godly heritage and fruit of being raised in the way of the Lord. But yet there's others of you like me that never went to church when you were growing up. And for my wife and I, we had no clue what it meant to serve in the church. We were going to harvest, me and my wife, for some two years when someone asked me and my wife, so were you both involved? And we said, involved? What do you mean, involved? Yeah, we go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. That's when we both had a change of heart, and we started serving in the church that we were growing in. That's when we both decided to break out of the mold of how our parents had lived, and that's not being involved in serving in the church. Know this, God has a plan. It's a purpose that is bigger than us. It's never. It's a never-ending recipe that has great eternal worth, great eternal worth. Yes, there is a reason, there is a point, there is a cause for each and every one of our existence, and we're to embrace it, and that's why God fills us with his Holy Spirit, so that each one of us can be empowered, so that each one of us can be used by the living God in a new and a fresh way to reach our present culture. That's why he will enable us with the abilities we need to accomplish his work. 
See, some people say, well, I, you know, I can't serve the Lord. I can't, I can't come alongside. I can't get actively involved in the church, you know, because, well, I, you know, I don't know how to do stuff. And I don't know how the church people do stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm not as, as good equipped as a person sitting next to me or the person in front of me or behind me. I mean, obviously they could be used by God, but not me. But see, what you don't realize is that when God calls us, God enables us to do whatever he calls us to do. So God's not asking you to pull up your own bootstraps and try to figure out how, quote, church people do stuff. All he's calling you to do is to make yourself available, and he will enable you to do whatever he calls you to do. That's why I like that verse so much. It's in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves as anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So it's not like I have to figure out how to do stuff or how do I become more of this person that God can use? No, he's just asking you to allow yourself to be used by him and he will give you enough adequacy to be used. Now, today, as we continue in our study through the book of Genesis, we will see the passing away of a great man of God. For Abraham was the father of our faith. He was the man who believed God simply because, well, God said it. And that's he believed because he simply said it. And that was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was the forerunner of the exact type relationship that us believers today would have with Jesus. Yes, as you know, God made a covenant later, way past Abraham, with a man named Moses. And it was known as the Torah, the law of God. Yet today, we stand justified and righteous the very same way that Abraham did. And we stand justified. That word justified means just as if we've never sinned. And we stand righteous. And, and what righteous means is that God has allowed us to be in right standings regardless of what we've done in the past because of the forgiveness that Jesus has given us through the cross. We are now in right standings with God. And that is exactly what happened with Abraham. He believed God. And it was counted unto him as righteousness. He was in right standings with God. And now we, because we believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, we are in right standings with God. We're told in Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man or a woman is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, some would ask, well, if we're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments or we're supposed to keep the commandments of God, we're supposed to do what's right and not do what's wrong. If we're supposed to keep these commandments, yet eternal life is through faith in Christ and not in the law, why then do we have the law? Well, listen to how the Bible explains this dilemma that we have here. In Romans 3.20, it says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
So God had to establish the law so that we would have the knowledge of sin. Meaning, someone couldn't say, well, gee, uh, I didn't know that. I mean, that's wrong. You, you didn't tell me that I can't kill my neighbor when I don't like something that he said. It's like, so God had to firmly establish the law that he would let us know everything that's right and wrong. But not only did God write it on tablets of stone, not only did he write it in books, the first five books, of the Bible, which is known as the Torah, the Pentateuch, the law of God. And there's not just, quote, 10 commandments. There's 613, if you're counting, laws. But not only did he write it and record it with Moses, but the Bible also tells us that he's wrote it upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. So when we lie, you know, like when we're caught and he's like, did you eat the cookies on the counter? We're like, "Uh, no, we got cookie crumbs all over our cheek. No, it wasn't me. It's like, you know, inside you're lying and you feel it inside uh, uh, because you know it. God has established it inside of our heart. Now, Galatians 3.24 puts a little more insight on this. It says, therefore, the law has become our tutor or our educator to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. So the law is our tutor. It's a schoolmaster. It's a teacher to lead us to Christ. Now, that word lead us in the original Greek actually means to drive us to Christ. So the law, what it does is it drives us to Christ. Why? Because we look at the law, 613 laws, we're like, oh my goodness, It's like, I'm guilty. There's no way I'll ever get to heaven. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a schoolmaster. It drives us to Christ because Christ is the only way we're getting to heaven. It's by his forgiveness and his grace. Now, as we continue in this study through the book of Genesis, as you remember from last time, Abraham's wife, Sarah, died. She was 127 years old. Abraham wept for her. What the Bible says is great tears of sorrow. Why? Because he loved his wife, Sarah. And their son, Isaac, then married, three years later, a girl named Rebekah. Now, the first four verses here of chapter 25 record Abraham getting married again, way down the line. Now, it says in the first four verses here of chapter 25 that he had six sons with this woman, seven grandsons, and three great-grandsons. Now, we're not told really anything else. It's just kind of like, boom, here's four verses, bam, here's what happened, and then he moves on. Now, we do know that one of his sons to this woman was named Midian. And he became the father of, quote, the Midianites, and they ended up being active enemies of Israel. But then we're told about two of his grandsons, Sheba and Dedan, and their descendants seemed to side with Israel against Gog in the last days, if you read in Ezekiel chapter 38. So it's like that's about all we can kind of glue together through those first four verses. But again, we know very little. Uh, But as we move forward, we will consider three points in light of our title, Passing It On. Number one, satisfied with life. Abraham was a man that was satisfied in this life. Number two, struggling within. 
we're going to find that Isaac's wife, through a couple decades of barrenness, becomes pregnant and has a twins inside of her womb, and they're struggling inside of her. And then our third point is striving internally, and that will be one of the sons, Esau, and we'll look at that at the end. But let's consider our first point here, satisfied with life, as we read together, starting in Genesis 25, verse 5. It says, now, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. And he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. He wanted to get them away from the promised son Isaac. Verse 7 says, These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a ripe old age, an old man, and he was satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, facing Mamre. And the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heath, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahoy Roy. Okay, well, there's a lot there. So, well, let's kind of take it apart. Now, notice in verse 5, Abraham gave everything to his son Isaac. There was never a question in Abraham's mind about who God's chosen one was to take over this venture of faith, for it was Isaac. And now God was going to do a new and a fresh work in him, just like he desires to do in each and every one of us. So even though Abraham had several other sons, he gave everything to Isaac in his will. Now, Abraham passed the baton, you could say, onto the son of God's promise, which again, of course, is Isaac, the son of Sarah. Yet to all of his other sons, verse 6 said, he just gave them gifts while he was still alive. Here, have a little present. And then he sends them all away. Yes, as much as we all don't want to think about it, we're going to come to that day that Abraham was coming to right here where he realizes he's at the end of his life. It's when a man or a woman cannot escape from the inevitable, and that is the day of death. The day when this body that we're living in, this temporal housing shuts down and we cease to live, either by old age like Abraham here or by accident. We're not all guaranteed to live to be old. Sometimes we get cut short, some of us. Psalm 89 verse 48 says, What man or woman can live and not see death? Like, who can just live forever? Nobody in this temporal life. He he goes on to say, can he deliver his soul from the power of hell? No. There's a little word there, selah, after that. And you'll see that many times in the Psalms. And a lot of commentators don't exactly know for sure what that means. But a lot have said it means like a pause And maybe it's a time to think about what was just said. So there's a pause there. Think about what was just said. 
can anyone not die? No, no one cannot die. In, the, in fact, the Bible says it's appointed for every man and woman to die once. And after this comes judgment. Yes, Abraham was 175 years old. He lived a long life. You can say that for sure. He outlived his beloved wife, Sarah, by almost a half a century. That's really old. You know, the oldest man living today, I looked it up yesterday, is Kane Tanaka of Japan. I don't know, maybe it's something in the water there in Japan. I don't know. But uh, well, for this guy is 117 years old. He'll turn 118 years old if he lives another month or so, because on January 2nd, he's 118. But in our text, Abraham goes from the presence of the Lord. Notice in, or goes into, I should say, the presence of the Lord. But notice in verse 8, it said that he died at a ripe old age and that he was satisfied with life meaning that abraham when he died he was full of life he lived his life to the end and abraham finished strong now many people when they get old they become bitter how many times you run into people and they're just old they're just cantankerous man they're just bitter old people and you know and their bodies are breaking down sin is taking a toll on their life and they're just cantankerous now i've been called to the deathbed of many people as a pastor you know people are dying of cancer they're dying of this or dying of that they're just dying of old age they're in the hospital and 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 people will call me hey go talk to my my dad my mom anyway but you get in there and i have seen this personally multiple times If the people don't have any relationship with Christ, they are bitter. Life cut me short, and I'm sick of this, and and they don't want to talk, and they're just nasty and, and everything. But then it's ironic how you'll go to the deathbed of people who have a strong relationship with Christ. It's a whole different picture. I remember Barbecue Bob. We all remember Barbecue Bob. And uh, if you have been with us for a very long time, you know you know that we started off in an old bank building, which was on the corner of Overland and Washington. That they've since tore it down, and they've built apartments. Imagine that in Los Angeles, more apartments, <laughs> as if we need more apartments. But anyway, it used to be an old bank building, and that's where we started in 2010. Well, Barbecue Bob is the one who actually showed me that building. He's the one that said, hey, I found a building, and I think it can work as a church. And I'm thinking, ah, I don't know. We went by and I'm like, now nah, this is too far off the freeway. I don't think this is going to work. And he goes, no, no, I think it will. And, and so I went in and we looked at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, I think this will work. So, you know, he's the one that showed us that building. And the reason we call him Barbecue Bob is because he'd have this giant smoker and he would just make brisket for the whole church. I mean, there'd just be some Sundays we'd just say, hey, everyone wants to stay afterwards. We got brisket for free. And I mean, and it wasn't just any brisket. It was like when it touched your tongue, you went to a happy place. Your eyeballs went back in your head. I mean, it was just awesome. Well, Barbecue Bob, you know, he could be a little cantankerous at times, you know, because he was working in our parking lot and, you know, he chewed people out sometimes for not parking where they're supposed to park. And we're like, hey, Bob, we got to pull you out of the parking lot because... You can't chew people out in the parking lot, okay? And so, you know, he was kind of a gruff guy at times, but he died well. He got cancer, and, you know, I remember I would go over and see him. I went to the hospital and everything, and and the day he got sick, everything changed with him. He knew he was going to be going home, 
And it took a few months, you know, to take its toll on him. And every time I went to see him, he was a happy man. He was so content in the Lord. And, you know, as a pastor, when you're going to someone who's dying and you realize unless Jesus heals him, he's dying. Like, like he's gone past that point where there is no coming out of it. There is no, you know, chemo that's going to work. Nothing's going to work. He is going to die unless God does something miraculous. And so, you know, you're always, as a pastor, you're like, okay, Lord, how can I encourage him? What am I going to say today? Well, every time I went to see that man in the hospital at his house over here in Culver City, he encouraged me. I mean, I'd walk in, hi, Bob, how are you doing? He's like, I'm doing great. How are you doing, pastor? How can I pray for you? Uh, it's just like, Bob died well. And that's how Abraham died. Amen. He finished strong because Abraham walked with God. For it was God who called Abraham to leave what was familiar to him at 75 years old. Then he journeyed with God for another hundred years. God called him at 75. He walked a hundred years with God. That's a full century just proving once again that our relationship with God is not a 40-yard dash, but rather our journey of faith should be likened to a long-distance marathon. That's why the man or the woman of God who desires to go the distance with the Lord this side of heaven should wake up every day seeking the Lord. By setting time aside for the reading of God's word, setting time aside for prayer, and we should end every day with our thoughts on him. You know, I go to bed every night and I think about like I'm going to bed. Well, well, good night, Lord. I I pray for my wife that she could get a good night's sleep. And then nights like last night, uh, I woke up at four in the morning, which I didn't want to wake up. And of course, I'm laying there. Well, good morning, Lord. And I'm like, I have to go to sleep. It's like, I need sleep. I don't want to go into Sunday morning feeling like a vegetable like I feel right now. But it's like, I just started praying. I just started, well, Lord, since I'm up, you know, and I just started praying about just different things and this and that and what have you. And, you know, and it's like, again, this is what needs to be on our heart. We need to set that time aside for him. Let's not forget, again, Abraham was known as the friend of God. Yes. I wonder when our life is all over, how are you and me going to be remembered? I mean, what are people going to recall about our lives? What will they reflect on? You know, will our life even have mattered in the scope of eternity? Will we have any eternal contribution here on this side of heaven? Will anyone's life have been changed because they knew us? Will anyone be in heaven because we actually stopped to take the time to share the life-changing message of the cross with them? Know this, how we choose to live and what we choose to do on a daily basis, get this, It matters. It matters. Make no mistake about it. Some lives will finish early before they should. Some people will die before anyone anticipated them dying. Not all of us are going to live to be old like Abraham. I think about what the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life. As you know, the Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament. That's that's a lot. 
27 books, he wrote half of them. Well, what did he write in the last book of those half that he wrote? What's the last book that he wrote? It was 2 Timothy. And what's the last chapter in 2 Timothy? It's only got four chapters in it. So in chapter four, so this is the end of the end of what the apostle Paul wrote. And he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So you're out there doing the work? You're looking for Jesus to come back? Guess what? There's rewards there. Yes, Paul said that he fought the good fight, that he finished the course, that he kept the faith. And because of that, he looked forward to a reward in heaven. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 